When I first made the change from working 50, 60 hours uh, at an office, which had been in the advertising world, mm-hmm. uh, where the whole idea was you're, you're working with your team and it's a constant finding inspiration from teamwork. That was horrible. It was really challenging, that transition, to be working directly out of my house on, on new business, A, trying to find myself a new gig, but then offering my new business development strategy to new clients. Are you new to working from home? Maybe you're figuring out how to manage a distributed team. Are you homeschooling your kids while trying to get something, anything else done? You've come to the right place. Work Life at Home talks with both newbies and experts as we explore the tools, tips, and techniques that will help you make the most of this new way of working. I'm Josh Freeman. Welcome home. My guest today is Paul Small, a man with a fascinating and varied career. Much of it spent working in small offices or large ad agencies. Paul started out as a talent agent, representing clients like Crispin Glover, Ray Liotta, and Demi Moore. He also created something called the Script Scene, which was the entertainment industry's first qualified and secure online screenplay evaluation service. He then joined Ignited, a major Southern California ad agency, as director of business development. And while he was there, he spent three of those years directing their clients' social media strategy. When he finally left Ignited, Paul got his first taste of a home-based business, working as a consultant, developing positioning strategies for other ad agencies. And ultimately, he decided to earn his realtor license and sell homes in the very enticing Southern California market. He was doing that successfully at Douglas Elliman when the pandemic hit. And now he's back at home and joining me in this conversation. Hey, Paul, welcome to Work Life at Home. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Sure. So selling homes seems to require face-to-face contact, at least that's what I would think, and physical inspection of lots of properties. And traditionally, you would hold open houses. So how has that all changed? Wow. It is, <laughs> uh, it is a huge shift. Yeah. Um, and I would say it's, there's two components to it. There's the physical nature of it, which is daunting. Yeah. And, but more important is the emotional, the mindset. So we are just irrational beings. And the thought of going into someone else's home or allowing some stranger to come into your home is just freaking people out. So we are uh, trying to navigate this and each case is individually. We have become very virtual. Uh, we do, there's a number of technologies that we can utilize to create 3D tours of an interior of a house. There's something called Matterport. Great technology. I find it a little bit clunky to navigate when you're looking at a house using it because you're just constantly going from room to room and it doesn't give you a great flow, but it allows you to see every aspect of a house. We can certainly create virtual um, open houses uh, using Facebook. We can schedule something in advance, mm-hmm. um, allowing your audience to know that you'll be holding a virtual open house, say, on 
Thursday at 10 o'clock. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. We can use Facebook Live then. Others will shoot it in advance and then premiere that video. Hmm. So there are a lot of tools that we have um, to create a sense of what that house can offer someone. So do you think that uh, that, that technique of selling is going to actually become the way people do this in the near future? Not so much the near future, like the next couple of weeks, but in the sense of the next few years, is that going to shift to that method more and more? Uh, it's a complicated answer. Um, I think we will use technology much more to whet someone's appetite. I think mm-hmm. for the typical home buyer, they need to get in there and, and, and touch it and experience it and see what it looks like when you're looking at the backyard through those windows. What does that view look like? Um, you can't, there's certain things you just can't uh, recreate online. Right. And it's the most expensive purchase anybody ever makes in their life. So doing it without touching and feeling, it seems really amazingly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a standpoint of, you know, what is the house? What are the underpinnings of the house? What's the structure like? You know, we typically will bring in inspectors and sure. um, all that has been slowed. There are very few inspectors that are, are working uh, in this time. And the ones that are, are booked. So you have to really juggle these things in advance. I think one of the big changes that we'll be seeing down the road that um, probably has a, a probably is going to have benefits for um, both parties in the transaction is that the whole idea of holding a mass open house where you, where you would hope to have 100, 200 people come in through a day, that's going to be cut down dramatically. Uh, I don't think sellers really want people trampling through their home that aren't already um, vetted. Sure. So one of the things that we see now is that sellers will not allow you to come into their home unless you can show proof of funds and some sort of pre-qualification letter. More than just the typical, I've been approved by a bank. They want to know that if you're coming in, that you have the wherewithal to make an offer immediately. Uh, And that's a big change because there were, you know, holding an open house, you get neighbors, you get strangers, you get people that are just on a lark. Of course. So I think that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, it's an amazing change. It's a, it's a very interesting thing to go from a world that invites everybody in like that, like an open house, to go to this kind of exclusionary concept of like, okay, if you are serious, you get to come in and otherwise you're not contaminating my space. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's intense. Yeah, you're balancing two things, right? Right. You want to get the widest audience because you never know where that buyer is going to come from. Yeah. But how do you do that so that you want the the widest audience of buyers who are prepared to make an offer and and jump now? So what kind of support are you getting since you're I assume you're completely working from home at this point, right? Correct. So your agency is supporting hundreds of agents who are all working from home, what kind of stuff do they do to kind of help and manage you guys? How do they make that work for you that you can uh, reveal? Obviously. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So being a realtor is a really interesting position to be in because we are all independent contractors. Mm. We may mm-hmm. work under a broker's license. 
which I do at, at Douglas Elliman, which is an, uh, a national brokerage, but it's our business. Um, we have a, a split of a commission with them. Well, you know, they get a piece of everything we'd sell. And in return for that, they offer various uh, leadership programs, right? And they support us with marketing and, and technology. And we go under their errors and omissions, insurance policy. So Douglas Elliman has been known from day one as one of the leaders in the field of creating daily and weekly voluntary calls and podcasts where you could listen to people doing role-playing, you could get transaction advice. Um, They have programs that constantly are updating you on all the different regulations because the laws change both regional and national with some regularity. And it's really hard to stay on top of that. Yeah. All that was voluntary. They would offer these as live programs and then they'd record them and put them on SoundCloud or on anywhere you could find a podcast. What's changed in the past, you were always on the go. You're looking at houses, you're meeting with clients. So it would be very difficult to find the time to listen to these things on a regular basis. It felt like a luxury in some ways. But now with the mandatory shutdown, when we're not on the go, it becomes a priority. And luckily, we have multiple daily Zoom calls and we're, it's as much for the regulations as it is for the mindset. How do you keep on grinding when it just feels like, wow, there is nothing going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the answer to that is? Uh, it's a, it's a definitely a work in progress. They have created enough opportunities for each of us as individual agents to connect. I mean, and that's what this is. It's connecting with people who can support you, mm-hmm. um, answer questions that may be, you know, offer advice, mentorship, um, give you hard facts about, you know, some of the, the laws. For instance, up until two days ago, we were no longer allowed to show an occupied house to anyone. We could show a vacant house, hmm. but we couldn't show something that was occupied. The regulation that was just... Um, limited. So we now are allowed to do that in certain circumstances. You have to be very safe about it. Everyone that goes into a house has to be um, wearing gloves, a mask. Uh, You have to wear something on your feet. Uh, As a buyer, you're not allowed to touch anything. So every, you know, if if you want to go to the backyard, I open the door or the selling agent would open the door. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a, almost you're, you're cocooned within that experience. So Let's uh, switch over to social media for a second, which I assume you are availing yourself of these days, because that's kind of how you can reach customers. Um, And you have a lot of experience with social media, uh, but you're using it in some really interesting ways right now. And I'd like to talk about how you got this idea for three blocks a day and explain what you're doing and tell me what the reaction's been. So one of the things that when you're a realtor, I would say most realtors have what is called a farm, which is a a specific area, could be a specific neighborhood. It could be, uh, you know, a larger region. I could say, oh, my farm is going to be Santa Monica Mm -hmm. or my farm is going to be the Palisades or in this case, Manhattan Beach. Or it can be really even tighter. And it's, it's a specific area within that. As a new agent, I didn't have that at all. Yeah, uh, I didn't want to be limited. I have a large contact base that is all over uh, the city. It's, it's not only in, in Southern California. I've got 
really great associates all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to limit myself to any one area. But during this time, I realized, well, I need to actually have um, a farm somewhere where I can concentrate on repeat business. And I had lived in a, in a community, a gated community called 360 at South Bay. And I was starting to farm that area. It was 650 residences within this area. And I was becoming a known quantity there. But then we moved. We moved down to North Redondo Beach. This is a week before the, um, the shutdown happened. So three blocks a day is a neighborhood walking tour. It initially was, I need to exercise. I don't have a gym I can go to. Uh, the track down the street where we had just moved to was shut down. It's like, okay, I'm going to start running in the streets and walking. Well, I realized I'm one block away from East Manhattan Beach. I don't know the area at all. So why don't I learn it? Oh, cool. Yeah. Ah, so interesting. I, I started walking it and it, it's a really interesting thing in that it satisfies multiple needs. It satisfies my exercise need. Uh, it, Exercise for me has always been really important to my mental and emotional well-being, as, you know, let alone physical. So it's helping me in that regard. It's giving me detailed knowledge of a specific area. And when I added the component of videotaping it and trying to come up with some interesting daily musings that hopefully give my listeners, whoever is listening, some positive feedback, it's essential for me. And I can see that as we come out of this shutdown, this will become the the area that I will be farming for the next couple of years. And my goal is to be the number one uh, realtor in this neighborhood. That's great. I'm really curious about this idea of repeat business, because to me, it's like you buy a home and you stick around in it for a long time, unless you're flipping homes. And how does repeat business work in the home biz? Uh, that's a great question. And it, it is something as, as I get deeper into this, I, I see the value of it. The goal is not to sell your home or put you into a home as much as it is to create a really smart homeowner. I want my clients to all be smart homeowners. And I find most owners don't really know what the value of their investment is, what opportunity might exist for them at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I, as I grow in my career, I want to be able to impart that information to my clients so that it's not just a simple transaction, that they can be proactive with their investment um, and I can help them along that journey because it shouldn't be just a one-off. If you have owned a home for 30 years, you've got a lot of equity in that home. Right. Uh, there might be a better way for you to uh, maximize that equity than just sitting on your home for the next 30 years. And I want to Mm. develop a relationship where they trust that I have their best interests at heart. And that's where the repeat business comes from. Interesting. Yeah. Tell me about your morning routine and how you, how you kind of incorporate your work life into your home life at this point. When I started real estate, I was turned on to this concept of if you can win the morning you have a great shot at winning the day. Hmm. Uh, In the real estate business, there is a huge mindset. I've never seen an industry that has more coaching in it. And I think the the reason is that we're salespeople at our heart. We are constantly 
dealing with disappointment, mm-hmm. being turned down. Sure. Um, and one of the biggest challenges for new realtors is you get slapped in the face a hundred times. You don't want to do it again and you, you give up. So this idea of creating a routine in the morning that gives you a certain confidence and a certain momentum. Um, so mine has been for the year and a half that I've been doing this, I wake up more often than not a little before 5am and I get on a, an international five minute call. That's part of something called the 5am club. And it is just this quick little burst of inspiration where one of usually it's, there's probably about 10 regular speakers. will just reflect on something that sometimes it can be very trite, but it's really about starting your, your day with this interesting mindset, some thought to kind of gather around. And I, do that. And then I try to do 15 minutes of meditation. I've just started incorporating a journaling practice, which I've been wanting, I've been running from for years. The whole idea of journaling just felt like I'm going to write a diary as a 14 year old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I'm finding that I I can see the purpose to it. And then I, um, I would try to exercise, try to do 45 minutes of cardio. Mm -hmm with the goal of being showered and shaved by 7 a.m. And if I can do that, I feel like, wow, I'm already ahead of the game. So you're married. And how does that early routine dovetail with or conflict with Karen's (laughs) schedule? And how do you manage that? Well, I am lucky in that my wife uh, and I have certain similarities. We're a good match when it comes to exercise. She uh, she goes to sleep a lot earlier than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does not get up at 5 a.m. with me. So, it so actually, she gets like a normal amount of sleep, like a regular person. Yeah, she, she <laughs> does. So, but, which is good because it allows me the freedom to do what I need to do. Like a couple of times she's come in when I've been meditating. And it's like, oh, this is embarrassing. I don't want to, you know. So trying to find that space. Sometimes it's at a premium, right? So in a way, it's nice that she's still asleep when I can do some of these things um, by myself. But she's been very supportive of that. I mean, her business has changed dramatically since the shutdown as well. And so she does a lot of her, she's a Pilates instructor. And she used to go to an office or to a studio. Um, Obviously, that was shut down immediately as well. So she conducts her business 70% now virtual where she does, uh, she teaches uh, her clients through Zoom. And then she has five, I think five intrepid souls that are venturing to our house where we turned our garage into a makeshift studio, which frankly may be the future of her business as well. Of course. Let me ask you about transitioning to working at home full time. When you first started doing that, did it feel sort of alien or was it something that was just a natural switch over? And how do you have it set up at home? I'm lucky in that this wasn't the first time I've worked from home. So this has not been a major change for me. Uh, and in fact, the, the new residence that we're in my setup is much bigger. We've got a much larger home. So I've taken what would have been a a third bedroom and I've turned it into a a more formal office for myself. We've got great internet. So I'm very content up here. I've got this wonderful balcony that has 
we get through the gloom, uh, the gloom of May and June in Southern California, it's going to be a wonderful area for me to um, utilize as a, a outdoor area where I can do my calls and I can do a lot of work. We're going to probably set up an umbrella and table out there. So oh, nice. uh, I feel actually blessed in that regard. When I first made the change from working 50, 60 hours uh, at an office, which had been in the advertising world, mm-hmm. uh, where the whole idea was you're, you're working with your team and it's a constant finding inspiration from teamwork. That was horrible. It was really challenging, that transition, to be working directly out of my house on, on new business, A, trying to find myself a new gig, but then offering my new business uh, development uh, strategy to new clients. I found it really challenging to work with any consistency because I found the most ridiculous distractions. <laughs> that carpet is really filthy. I need to vacuum it right now. Right. Yeah. What else? Give me some others. Um, eating. Like, oh, 930. Even though I had a piece of toast an hour ago, I feel like I'm hungry again and I can do that. Um, so it would just be finding anything to avoid, uh, to avoid what I needed to really be focusing on. And I really understood the plight of what writers must go through. So how did you get over it? Um, discipline. I realized I wasn't, I wasn't getting stuff done. I wasn't, you know, there's this whole idea that, oh, I'm multitasking in some weird way. And, and the more I think about it, it's like, you're just (laughs) doing multiple things poorly. (laughs) That's exactly correct. Yes. And there's a lot of studies about that. And multitasking definitely does not work. What you're doing is your task switching real fast. And that means you never get any traction on whatever you're working on. And it's uh, just a good way to do a bad job at stuff. So yeah, yeah, focusing is much more effective. I find now that I just need to put things. So, you know, we've always had lists of uh, things that we need to accomplish today. To-do lists. Right. And I would find that 50% of them I wouldn't, I wouldn't find time for right. because they weren't in my calendar. And because we've transitioned to this digital world where everything is prompted from our devices, I found that if I don't put it in my device and don't block out time, uh, it just doesn't happen. And even then, even when you block it out, it's quite easy to ignore. So I'm now actually in the process of working off of two computers, one which will not be live, won't be connected to anything so that I can download long form things that I need to read and concentrate more on that and try to avoid the constant pinging of alerts. Yeah. There's also this switch where you can turn them off. You just told me that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which was a revelation. I just feel like I've just grown leaps and bounds in in our, uh, our call. There's actually some cool software that you can install that helps you do this. Uh, I don't remember the name. I will look it up and put it in the show notes, but it's, there are a couple of apps that basically keep you focused and keep your other stuff from bugging you when you're trying to get work done. And that seems like a useful thing for people to know about. That's great. I would love to learn more about it. And someone told me this, um, that there was a study that said we, we function much better in these 20 minute bursts. Yes. It's called the Pomodoro method. And uh, you use a timer to set up these short 
bursts of work, and then you give yourself purposeful breaks in between. And those are timed as well. So it gives you this kind of rhythm of getting something done and then rewarding yourself with a little cup of tea or whatever you want to do to take a break. And then you refocus and you do it some more, and then you can take a longer break in between. And that whole system is, is there's uh, apps that are built to time those for you and uh, lots of information online about that. That's fantastic. I didn't know it was a formal name, but that's, I will definitely look that up. The name comes from the Italian cooking timers that people use, you know, you know those little uh, wind up kind, the little twisty yeah. kind that you keep on your next to your stove. Well, in Italy, they have them in their shape like tomatoes. So oh. they call them pomodoros. And that's, <laughs> that's what that comes from. That's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, the thing about having a lot of stuff to do, I think everybody's got a ton of stuff to do. If you look at the list of all the things you could be working on, I don't know about you, mine is massive, literally probably, I don't know, a thousand things. And you have to pick the maybe three things that are really important. And I assume that's the kind of thing that you put on your calendar is you decide, okay, what are the three or four or five things that I'm going to do today that I mean it about that I'm actually going to get done. And you calendar those things and then you do them and it, it's, it helps keep you on track for that stuff. Is that pretty accurate? That is certainly the way I had been doing it uh, for, for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, I just finished a, a really in, interesting book. It's called The One Thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, written by Gary Keller, who is the gentleman who started Keller Williams uh, Real Estate. And he believes that what you just mentioned, you know, you need to f- focus on three things. But he actually takes it one step further. He says, you need to focus on one thing. And it's a really interesting philosophy because it tries to connect your daily goals to your annual or lifetime goals. If you choose to say, for instance, I need, I want to become the recognized leader in East Manhattan Beach uh, in, in the real estate business. That's my, let's say my two-year goal, my one thing. Now, everything that I do needs to somehow track back to that. And he brings it down to what's the one thing I need to do today that will put me in the best position to accomplish the one thing I need to do this week and so on and so forth. And it gives you so much more accountability and it tells you what your priority is. And so right. I'm trying to structure now my day in, in individual days and two week bursts into accomplishing those things. So how does it feel when you have this kind of a very clear goal? There are still lots and lots of day to day things that you need to do to live, basically, to support your life. And I'm assuming that they tie back. So, for example, you mentioned you need to exercise or you're, you know, you're not going to keep your body or your brain working correctly. Correct. Those things support the idea of this goal. Absolutely. And so, so there are lots of instances that are probably more complex than that, that support the goal. How do you narrow it down to one thing as opposed to, you know, the 10 things that support the goal that you need to do in little bursts all day long or all week long to get you there? Because it gives you the priority of what needs to be um, looked at at this moment. Um, I think what we find is that 
at any given day, there are 50 things you could be doing and they all have validity. But by prioritizing, this is the one thing that I need to do. If you can accomplish that and not push it off, because it may be the hardest thing you need to do today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes will push off things that feel difficult so that I can get some little wins. And yet the little wins are so, uh, are so not critical that I'm checking off a lot of little things that have nothing to do with the thing that I needed to accomplish today. So for instance, when I work on one of my neighborhood walking tours, there's the physical act of getting up, deciding what three blocks I'm going to be walking today and going out there. That, and that's fine. But what I'm realizing is the most important aspect of it is what am I going to talk about? I think if I was just talking about real estate, it would get boring really quickly because anyone can talk about that. But by imparting some of who I am and how I think, my hope and my belief is that someone will say, I like the way this person thinks. I, I trust that he, he and I might find some commonality together. I'd like to learn more. Right. And the reality is like all these kinds of things, you're not going to appeal to everybody. Some people will go, who cares? Some people will say, I don't like how he thinks. I don't, I don't like how he talks. <laughs> you know, why is he walking around? Too bad, Absolutely. right? Because That's all fine. you need is, is the few people that do resonate with that. Yep. You don't need thousands and thousands of them. You need, I don't know, 30 of them or 50 of them or something. That's, you know, a small group of people who think the way you think and want to do business with you. You and I have talked for years about this in the um, marketing and advertising space in that we try to appeal to everybody. Every client should be working with us. And the reality is, no, they shouldn't. You need to align what you do best with the needs of what another person or another company has. And and if you can find that match, that's awesome. And you're going to do great work together. Yeah, exactly. Um, Back to this one thing for a second. One of the things that you and I work on together is a project called Racing to End Alzheimer's. And our roles are, I do the creative content stuff and you do the social media stuff. And it's a really rewarding, fun, interesting, challenging project to work on. How does that support your one thing? (laughs) It doesn't. I'm not sure that's true, but go ahead. Okay. My real estate business and the work that we're doing, they're two silos that don't intersect. I guess if I were to apply the one thing uh, to our work together, um, that's an interesting, that's a really interesting concept that I hadn't really given much thought to. So my take on this is that it does exactly the same thing as the conversations that you're having while you're walking, that it basically informs the people who are in contact with you, that you are somebody who cares about something. And it's something that you're good at and that you give a damn about. And I've seen your posts on social media about it and they're heartfelt and real. And I know that it's a client also, But I think it also reflects who you are and your concepts that you've come up with, like remembering the champions and uh, getting loud about it and all of those have been great and have been driven by an understanding of who you're talking to and why you're talking to them. And there's a tremendous amount of empathy in them. 
And I feel like that's exactly parallel to listening to you talk about music or talk about whatever you want to talk about on your walks. I, I, I post things that reflect who I am, I believe, as a man or as a human. And I want, sometimes I really want responses. And what I find is that social media doesn't seem to want, want to reward me in that, in that way. And I've, I'm coming to grips with it in that I just share what makes me happy because in a way I look at our digital footprint as a legacy. Uh, it reminds me of where I've been and points me to where I'm going. And if someone happens to like something I've shared, that that's tremendous. But I'm uh, I'm trying to get over the the, the needing that uh, outside reinforcement. Um, so I'm hoping that there's a consistency and, and that people see the things that I share and that are important to me. And yes, the work that we are doing together, I am inspired by Phil, Phil Frangs, our, our intrepid leader and the creation, um, that he has fashioned. And I like to celebrate it whenever I can, cause I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. Me too. There's an interesting way of looking at this, which has to do with making this podcast. I don't know that anybody's going to listen to this. I don't know who's going to listen to this. Somebody will listen to it. Hopefully it will resonate with somebody and it will affect somebody's life in a positive way. They'll get some insight from it. They'll enjoy it. It'll entertain them while they're walking or something. But I don't have hopes of it being a huge success or a hit or something along those lines. The reason that I'm doing it is to do it. And I think that's the thing about social media and, and putting stuff out in the world in general is this idea that if it's something that you care about and it's an expression of yourself and you get joy from the creation process, that's a good enough reason. It's fine. It's kind of being an artist in the very broadest sense of the word artist. And you're putting something out in the world that may or may not resonate with somebody else, but expresses something about yourself. And the people it connects with are the people it connects with. But it's not a reason to do it or not do it unless you feel like you're doing it as a tool or strategy or something like that. But I don't think everything has to be that. I think a lot of things people do because they do them. And because it's this thing Seth Godin talks about all the time about here, I made this. The end. That's it. Here, I made this. And then you go on, you make another one. And eventually you have a lot of them. And if that means something to somebody, fantastic. And if it doesn't, then you made a lot of cool stuff and that's fine. It's the artist's intent. Yeah. Um, but there's a reason why patrons exist. There's a reason agents exist. Mm -hmm. Well, marketing agencies and, and the like is because someone at its core, you say, my God, that is a brilliant painting. The world needs to see this. Mm -hmm. I will take the responsibility of promoting this and creating distribution for it so that your work, which is beautiful, should not live in a, a basement by itself. Right. You, you get the desire that, to share it, right? Basically, yeah. somebody hears it, sees it and gets the, the desire to share it. And they might do that professionally like an agent or they might do that because they love it yeah. as a person. And that's what you hope for. The thought that Van Gogh didn't sell anything in his lifetime is like, are you kidding me? The Beatles never sold a record. They just did them all. That would just, that's just a crime. But the Beatles didn't 
do it. When they started playing music, they started playing music to play music. The reason they went to Hamburg, the reason they were doing that together for three years or whatever, before they had any hits, was the joy of making the thing. And yeah. that joy is why we love what the Beatles made. It's not because of the marketing. It's because they're freaking cool and we got to hear their songs. And that's, I think that's the key thing to me. It's like, you can't control what everybody thinks about you. You can help, you know, you can promote yourself a little bit, but you can't make somebody like your thing, but you can make your thing as good as you can make it and put it out there. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and but so going back to your, I think this is a great podcast. It's a great forum. Um, and it should be heard by more people. And that has to be sometimes a role that the artist doesn't, the creator doesn't necessarily, that's not his job, his or her job. That is finding someone who will believe in your work that has the wherewithal to get it um, seen or heard by a wider audience. That becomes their role. And those are, that's a valid and very important role. And, yes. and that's part of what, we as, as facilitators, um, help our creators do. That's exactly what both our jobs are in a way. I mean, you're celebrating the work of some architects and construction guys and builders, and they made this amazing thing and then people lived in it and they made it more amazing. And that's, that's a, a wonderful thing to carry on to another person and give them that experience and feel like I do that with my client companies. I mean, it's just, you know, whatever they're making or doing is hopefully valuable to somebody. And I want to help them get that value out there. And that's why they pay me to do it. That's why they pay you to do it. So my, my part of how I would describe it is you have this dream about what your family life should be in five, 10 years. You're constantly not exploring it to its fullest because you're cutting off the potential for all the wrong reasons. My job is to allow your dreams to come to fruition, to blossom, so to speak. And there's that trust element that I think is the major part of, of, of this relationship. You have to trust me enough that you'll let me fail, that you'll let me bring you to a house that satisfies none of those emotional urges. If you're not prepared to do that, the real work that I can do for you won't be realized. Because you won't allow me to bring you into something that you never thought was right for you. But I knew it was. That's a huge concept. The idea of trusting somebody to fail yeah. and continue. That's a, that is a big, big deal in the world. <laughs> that we, you know, I, I never thought about that. But yes, the best working relationships that I have with clients, for sure, are when they let me basically play. You know, it's like they let me explore. And then we come back with something and they go, you know, not really what, you know, I'm thinking about because of this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, we keep going. And that thing of riding with it, you know, and letting the process move forward. That's huge. Yeah. And a, a great relationship to create if you can. Yeah. Well, think about the idea that we just pitched to Phil. Okay. Initially, he had yes. no interest in that. <laughs> so stupidest, true. That's the so stupidest true. idea I've ever heard. He allowed us to think through that, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And he was open to hearing about it and, yeah. and working on it and making it better and making it work for him and all that stuff. Yeah. Best clients, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what you want.
Yeah, it's cool. All right. I think that is a lovely place to end this. Um, I, I really want to thank you for doing this. This has taken the conversation places that I was definitely not expecting and really loved having. So thank you. My pleasure. And uh, this has been a treat for me. Great. And so tell people where they can get a hold of you, connect with you professionally, personally, whatever sure. you like online. Um, so I work under the brokerage Douglas Elliman. My uh, email address is paul.small at elliman.com. Uh, website is very similar, paulsmall.elliman.com. Great. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for now. If you're new to working from home, you might want to check out worklifeathome.com, where you'll find articles, show notes, and best of all, a community where you can ask questions and get some answers from people who've been doing this a while. We'd love to see you there. And I would be thrilled to hear what you think and find out who else you'd like to hear from on the show. You can email me at josh at worklifeathome.com. If you're enjoying Work Life at Home, please do let your friends and coworkers know so they can subscribe. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.